But the most important thing we talked about last week, because we were talking about the book Galatians, and one of the things that I threw out there in the midst of my talk, I think before I said anything about her story and about her situation, was I said it's so important, and this is why this book um, is completely unique to any of Paul's letters. Paul deals with immorality in all of his letters and issues and failures in the church. He deals with them all. He even deals with um, someone sleeping with their grandmother. He deals with everything. <laughs> he, he, really, he really goes in on some, some issues that he faces in churches. And none of them, none of them, is he as hostile as he is in this book. So we tend to take our eyes off the gospel and focus on, on details in people's lives. And when you fall into the trap that's in this book, that's when you start to manage other people. And that's where Christianity becomes behavior management. Christianity has never been about behavior management. It's not what it is. It's not, it's not what it's about. And so when you, when you, see, when you, start to, you see the gospel and all its glory and all its goodness, and sometimes when people have been Christian for a while, they move past the gospel and somehow or another in different traps, different ways, they get to this moment where they, they uncover something. Often people describe it as something deeper. Um, and they end up delving into all sorts of situations and stuff and they end up managing other people and talking and seeing other people's issues all the time <laughs> and that's, uh, you've missed the gospel that's, 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 that's not how it works so today what we're going to do is we're going to try and bang through some of um, chapter 2 and we're going to try and touch on a bit of chapter 3 and then I'm going to summarise and at the end we're going to try and remember something so literally my, my goal today is that we touch on chapter 2, we touch on chapter 3. I really advise you read this book um, in your own time as well at home. And if you have a study Bible, I'd recommend the ESV study Bible. If you don't have it, you can get an app for, instead of paying 40 quid for the hardback, um, you can get an app called ESV Bible and then a plus sign. And it's like 10.99. It's the best study Bible ever. It's incredible. I'm reading from it now. Um, it's just so, so, so good. It's exactly the same as the other one. It has pretty much everything the other one has, but it's really easy to search through. It's just amazing. But, and it's offline, so you have to be connected to data to use it. So good, so, so good. So that's it. Two chapters and remembering one thing. That's all we're going to try and achieve today. So hopefully we'll achieve it. Um, so we're just going to read. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those whom seemed influential, influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. He's saying, I didn't want to waste my time. So I didn't want to waste my time going around preaching a gospel that wasn't legit. So I took the gospel that I had encountered in Christ Jesus because he had his um, revelation of Jesus after Jesus had um, been resurrected and ascended. So he wanted to check what he had as legit. So after that time, so after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and he takes the gospel he's been preaching and he submits it to the guys that everyone knows about, the legit dudes, um, submits it to them to see what they think in order that I had not run in vain. So he wants to say, the gospel I preached to you guys is legit, basically, is what he's saying to them because um, they've turned away. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, harsh words, um, when you think also that's a really loaded word. On the one hand, he's talking to the Gentiles, so he's using a, a, a concept, but when he's talking about slavery, he's referring straight back to Egypt. 
So he's using loaded kind of language. So he's like, if you want to take this back to our forefathers, I'll take you back to our forefathers. And you're not following the forefathers you think you are with this attitude and this outcome. So to them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. That's pretty much my favorite verse, I think, of um, the whole of chapter two. It is just, it's absolutely incredible. To them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So Paul is like, not even a second. Like in the discussions and everything, there wasn't a moment where I would budge on this in any way because the gospel needs to be preserved. So for Paul, it's not even about a question of morality. This, this is way past morality. It's way past anything else. This is the gospel. It had to be preserved so he would not bend. He wouldn't submit even for a moment. doesn't matter who these religious leaders are. doesn't matter what influence they have. doesn't matter what power they have. doesn't matter what's at stake. What is at stake here is more than anything that could be at stake. So he wouldn't even for a moment submit to them because he's like the gospel and the truth of the gospel had to be preserved for you. And for those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. They wouldn't add anything to this gospel. This gospel is, supersedes the influence of men. It's far too important. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised, for he had worked through Peter for his apostolic, he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to be circumcised, worked as the, also through mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and, to the, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So he does care about actions. He cares about the right kind of actions. And that priority is eager. It's something he's eager to do. They're eager for him to do. But when Cephas, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when the certain men, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Bars for days, bruv. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. <laughs> that's, that's steady. Um, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Jesus and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, there we go. He's got there. No one will be justified. No one. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For, though the law, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's reminding them, the whole truth of this is that Christ has loved me and given himself for me. So we talked the last series about love. We explored love and God is love. And it's out of that love he gave himself for us. Now this, this, this is the second hardest bar in chapter 2. I do not nullify the grace of God. Oh, gee, thanks. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He's like, okay, you want to stick to this? Jesus died needlessly. We now have no gospel. Because if Jesus is just an injustice, that has no reflection on the whole of humanity. It's a sad moment. Oh, well, he died for nothing. Big whoop. But the whole point of the gospel that they put their trust in, which is where he's going to go next. So he's, 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 this, those two bars are just so good. He wouldn't submit for a second because he wanted to preserve the gospel and the truth of the gospel. And here he's going, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He goes, so you guys were cool, yeah? You could do it by your actions. You, your actions, your actions, a little bit of bump and flex. You guys flexed hard, bang. You got it, you sorted. No, you couldn't do it, could you? No, you had to look to Jesus. Okay, well then let's not start believing in something which if you use and follow the logic of that line of thought, it doesn't point you to the gospel. It says that Jesus died for nothing. That's what it says. If you could be righteous by your own actions, if you could connect with God through your actions, then Jesus died for nothing, for no purpose, no purpose, not some purpose, no purpose. And then he goes in, chapter three. This is why, and this bit, he doesn't accuse anyone like this. He doesn't speak to anybody like this in any of his other letters. And there's some horrendous things going on in the other churches from a moral standpoint, but this is just a dangerous standpoint. Oh, foolish Galatians, which literally in the Greek translates as wasteman, um, for those <laughs> who are wondering. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, what he's saying there, they didn't actually see Jesus crucified. They weren't there. They weren't. Um, this is somewhere near Turkey. Like, they didn't see Jesus crucified. That didn't happen. There might have been someone in that church who had, but likelihood that's not what he's saying he's saying when he gave them the gospel it was as if they were there that they encountered this gospel it was so real it's so tangible it's so alive to them that it was as if he was crucified right in front of them so he's saying you fools who has cast a spell on you before your eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. And this is where he's going to ask some questions. And these questions are questions we need to ask ourselves at times because they will always lead us and keep us safe within the confines of grace. And God's grace um, is just, it's everything. Um, it's the, not everything, it's the only thing. It's literally the only thing that matters. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive God's spirit by what you did or by what you believed? The faith that you had, the trust you put in him. Did you receive it by faith or by your actions? Was it you were so amazing, like you smashed it so much that like, yeah, that you had such a good circumcision, like boom, it was done. Was it you had such a good Passover feast that year? Oh man, you, you just nailed that Passover. That meal was just so, mm, 
That was, you've kept all the Sabbath feasts. You've kept all the law so well. Was that it? And then you encountered and received the Spirit of God. Is that, is that how it happened? Are you so foolish? Is what he says. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by your actions? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He goes, you want to get Jewish on me? Let's go straight back to the father of the Jewish faith. Let's go back to Abraham. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What action was that all about? What, what works did he do? There was no law then and it was what he believed. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Jeez. That's why they're saying Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left leg and somebody, nod your head, whatever. Um, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Jeez, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Um, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's it. He just deaded them right there. But he's not going to leave it there because this is Paul. He doesn't just leave it. He goes in. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident no one is justified by God for the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So the righteous live by faith. So how are you going to do it by the law? But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. The one who does them. So it's not faith or trust. It's the one who does them. They haven't done them. They're not in. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, which is the gospel and the mission that Paul's on, by the way, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, man's got bars for days I'm telling you referring to many but referring to one and to your offspring the offspring is Jesus this is what I mean the law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void for if the inheritance comes by the law it no longer comes by the promise but God gave it to Abraham by a promise and all Abraham had to do was trust in the promise Bars for days. The law came later, but the promise was already there. Yeah. It's already there. So the law doesn't add a thing to it. You didn't earn it. It's a trust in the promise. And the promise that came for Abraham is Jesus. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, in an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. 
Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to a promise. Heirs according to a promise. There's so much goodness in that. I felt today it would be a disservice to kind of pick a verse and preach it when Paul just puts it in one go and just go with his flow because he has bars for days. But ultimately speaking, what we want to achieve today is we want to come to God in faith. We want to realize that if we look to being righteous by our actions, we miss the whole point of the gospel. Because when we look at it, work still has its place in the Christian faith and tradition. So under Judaism and under the law, it was seen as the means to get to God. But actually, in the Christian faith, it takes a different position. What it takes is, you are saved by grace, through faith, for good works. So God wants to save you, not just for like uh, a pass to heaven. It's not an evacuation plan. It's not us going up the escalator to heaven while Jesus is coming down the escalator and he's looking back going, where are you guys going? <laughs> he says he's making a new heaven and a new earth. And he's like, what? what? I'm going, you guys, what? 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 It's, it's not Westfields. You're not going up one way, another way. And you're like, oh, Jesus, oh, 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 this, this has gone horribly wrong. That's not what it is. What it is, is Jesus came He is the promise of Abraham that we would become children of God, that we would be sons and daughters of the Most High, that we would be forgiven of our sins, that we would be redeemed, that we would be restored, that we would be reconciled to God, and that we would be a part of the process of reconciling all things to himself. So at the beginning of today, when I said about our mission statement, where I had a panic attack and I went, what is our mission statement? Why we exist to? Why do we? I don't know why we, why do we exist like that? We exist to light up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ. And the reason for that is God saves us. He calls us to be his. His church are the ones he calls out for a purpose. The purpose he has called us out for is that we shine bright, that we are the light that shines in the darkness, that people who are far from God can find life in Christ because they will see that God has saved us for good works and that we would do good things because of the transformation he has for us, that our priority will be different. Now, when we look at this book and when we continue the theme we've been going through, um, the main thing we want to focus on 
is that we want to realize here in chapter 2, verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if the righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That is an absolute bar. That if we start to focus on our actions as being a means to please God, Christ died for nothing. And that makes our whole entire faith just absolutely um, dead, dead and buried. Absolutely dead and buried. And that we also want to be like Paul in that sometimes I find with my friends at work, they want to talk about the do's and don'ts. And they want to talk about as a Christian, can you do this? Can you do that? That's what I want to talk on. And I don't even validate that conversation anymore. I don't validate it. The reason I don't validate it is because they continue to understand Christianity as the means to God through the actions that I do. And straight away, I don't let them have it. Just like Paul here. He goes, I had to preserve the gospel. I couldn't have it for a minute. I couldn't even sit for a minute. I couldn't talk about it. So when people at work talk to me about like, oh yeah, so you guys don't do this. You guys don't do that. You guys don't do this. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's not me. That's not me. I'm a Christian. And he goes, yeah, well, I've got a mate who's a Christian. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool, mate. My Christianity isn't do. My Christianity is done. He's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, my Christianity is done. Oh my he goes, well, what? Well, how are you doing? Well, it's done. And he's like, yeah, but what do you mean done? I'm like, it's done. And he goes, well, what do you mean it's done? Like, surely you don't do this. Surely you don't get drunk. So you don't do drugs. I'm not saying I do do drugs. I'm not saying I do get drunk. I don't. Last time I was drunk, I was 15. Last time I was high, I was 15. There's a coincidence in the pattern. Have I done other things along the way? Yeah. Am I still screwing up? Yeah. Do I still sin? Yeah. But my entire faith and my righteousness with God is found in Christ. My identity is found in him. And it's done. When he said it's finished on the cross, I'm taking that final word. It's done. He's done it for me. He's done it for me. And so when he's sitting opposite me, he's going, yeah, but you know, you've got to do this. I, oh, you know what? I try and do the right thing. Yeah, totes, but it's done. My Christianity isn't do this, do that. It's, it's done. And Jesus has done it. And that's where the bus stays. And I won't move from that. And I won't entertain any other chat because I won't for one minute allow him to think my Christianity is salvation through works. Can't perpetuate it. And I want to encourage everyone here, you get into that conversation, you shut it down. That's it. That's all you got to say. You want to get into a better conversation? Don't try and explain the theology to them. Just go, no, my Christianity is done. They're like, what, what? No, no, it's done. It's done. You can even do the hand movement. Done. <laughs> Shut down. It's done. What do you mean it's done? Well, Jesus died on the cross. He said it's finished. I believe him. And he rose again to prove it. He ascended, sits the right hand up. It's done. Oh, it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a jerk, but it's done. <laughs> I'm pursuing to be better. I know I'm a jerk. It's done. That's the gospel, and we have to fight to preserve the gospel. What we're going to do today to end on is we're going to end on a special note. We're going to have um, communion. Um, we're going to have some, some bread. Mark, this, this, was, this was not what I had in mind, but this is cool, man. Uh, I don't need to heat this up, do I? No, no. Oh, yeah, you do. Oven cook. You can oven cook. You, you can oven cook it. Ciabatta. Is it ciabatta? I've only had it once. I'll tell you what, bro. I, I just want—I just want to beat you with this bread, bro. I just want to just what? Boom! Nah, it's cool, man. We're gonna have this bread because any poisonous thing, like Jesus said, like and all that, like, it's all. Can I the That one was the best one you did. Like last time when you got the olive one, it was like, jeez, Marv went in. This time he went for a Chewbacca, 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 whatever. Star Wars bread here. We'll go with the Star Wars bread. We're gonna break bread today.
um, and we're also going to have have the wine. And we're going to finish on this note because you see the problem for the Galatians was oh foolish Galatians par of the week. They took their eyes off what the gospel was. They missed it. They missed it. They got caught up in wanting to be a bit deeper. They got caught up in wanting to have a class system where you had someone who's a little bit better than the other ones, a little bit more special, a little bit up here and everyone else down there. They, they missed it all because they wanted to show their actions and show off the Jewishness of their faith. That's not what Christ died for. It's not what he did at all. And they missed it because they took their eyes off the sacrifice. And you see, Jesus, with his disciples, he said to them, do this in remembrance of me. And what he did was he broke some bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Um, And then he took the wine. He says, this is my blood poured out for you for many. And he said that this was a sign of the covenant. And um, when he did these two things, they related and tied back to a moment in Egypt where they would have a Passover meal. And um, they were used to having this meal. The disciples had it with Jesus leading up to just before his, his um, arrest in the garden. Um, they'd, they'd had this meal together. And as he broke it, they were looking at him thinking this man was a heretic because he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took and poured the wine. And so they were looking at symbols associated to a lamb in Egypt. And he was saying, actually, it's my body that's broken because he was saying that he delivers us not from a slavery in Egypt in this one moment, but delivers all people throughout all time from all slavery that there is. That's what he achieved in his body on the cross. That there would be a time when we would all live on when none of those things and none of those evil institutions will ever exist again. And you see, the different thing is, is that your story is different to my story. Um, And your slavery is different to my slavery. The issues you've had in your life and the sins you've had in your life, they're not the same as mine. And so they, the Jewish people, had remembered Passover every year that their forefathers were set free from slavery. So they all remembered Egypt. But Jesus did something greater where before he went to the cross, he was pointing to, I'm the Passover lamb. And at the time of Passover, when the lambs would be killed, Jesus was crucified and died on a cross. And they would take these lambs and they would vet them and they would whip it and the blood would flow from its back after they'd seen there's nothing wrong with it, no blemishes, nothing wrong with the skin condition, no broken bones, and then it would be declared sacrificially fit. Well, Jesus, by Pilate, Pilate tested Jesus in every way and he said, I find no fault with this man, but I'll punish him anyway. And Jesus was whipped and the blood flowed from his back and he was declared sacrificially what John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so when we take these emblems today, what we're saying is, is we're saying, we're remembering the sins Jesus had delivered us from, but we're also looking to him here and now that he would set us free from whatever it is we're facing in this moment. He knows what our slavery and our oppression is. He knows what our struggle is. He knows what our hurt is and what our pain is. And we don't just have to look at it and thank him for what he did before, but we also take it expecting that tomorrow we'll walk out different, just like the children of Israel did. So we're going to do this because we realize that the Galatians, they took their eyes off the cross of Christ and what he was achieving. It led them to some pretty dark places. And while we do that, um, Leke's going to um, sing a song for us. I'm just going to pray. Father, we come uh, before you today, uh, this evening, and we, we don't want to take our eyes off the ball. We want to stand firm for the cross of Christ. We want to stand for your gospel. We don't want to entertain foolish conversations where we talk about the do's and don'ts of Christianity. We want to talk about the done of Christianity. You have achieved it on the cross for us. 
and not just us, but for all mankind. We've seen in here there's no, neither Jew nor Gentile, that in Christ we can all be sons and daughters of Abraham. We just ask, Lord, that as we break this bread and as we have this wine, we will remember the body that was broken for us and the blood that was poured out for us that we could be free. Maybe tonight, Lord, as we take these emblems, you would set us free and we're grateful because we know you will. But also, Father, for some of us, there can be certain moments where we can look back on and we can say, man, I remember when I was in that dark, dark place and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was as if he was crucified right in front of me. I just saw it. Father, help us to have that moment to hold you there to ground and center our lives around. In Jesus' name, amen.